from this Ezekiel passage. Looking at the failure of the shepherds of Israel, what would you compare these failings with what you have observed in modern day shepherds or elders? Well, Clay, I think there's some, you know, there are some good examples of elders uh, doing the things that are listed there, feeding, uh, strengthening, healing, binding up, uh, searching out to the lost. And, but there are some bad examples as well of those who just uh, are self-centered. Uh, they're more concerned with what they're going to eat and clothe and the... I think those key words of uh, using force and cruelty um, are are so key in what and where elders might go wrong. Well, it so it starts with with the very first issue, which is um, they feed themselves. They're self-centered. And they're selfish in their motives. They're more concerned about themselves than they are the flock. So most of this is negative, but in giving out the negatives, he sort of tells what they should have been doing. So it's a good illustration of what you shouldn't do. And as Ray said, what you should do. So we talked a little bit about the work of a shepherd. Here it, here it is. Um, Here's what not to do, and then here's what to do. Do we are how do you how do you strengthen the disease? How do you heal the sick? How do you bind up that which was broken? And how do you bring back that which was driven away? What's he talk? What? How do you apply that to being a shepherd or the work of a shepherd in a, in an in assembly or in a church? Ray, you have an answer. I mean, uh, Dave, you have an answer. Not Dave. David Hammond. Yes, They're meeting David the needs of the people. They are doing these things. So one of the things we talked about last time, in order to in order to know who's brokenhearted, in order to know who's lame, in order to know who's sick, what and in order to know those who are drifting away or being driven away, what do you have to know? You have to know the sheep. You have to know the sheep. It means being in a relationship with everybody. And like from last time, we kind of talked about why having multiple elders is good because not everybody is going to connect with each person. Excellent. I, I've actually been to assemblies that an elder has said, he's a pain in the neck. We wish he would just leave. And I always feel like reading this passage to them because I just, it doesn't fit. The, the problem is if you're self-interested, 
dealing with the sick and the broken and the driven away takes a lot of time because they're usually the more needy of the flock. And Clay, I think that there's a also almost a search and rescue operation that should be going on there where the elders are searching for those who are hurting, searching for those who, who need to be strengthened uh, and bringing the word to bear and counseling, biblical counseling, and but also just uh, really learning how to be a friend to them. Yes, and, and I will tell you that at times, some people are like cactus. They're very hard to approach when they're hurting. And it takes knowing them, often doing kind acts to them first before you question them or ask them about an issue in their life. You know, it might, it might be inviting them over to dinner and giving them dinner and not even raising a subject, is there an issue? Going over and helping him paint his house or, or, you know, fix something in his house alongside of him. Asking him to go alongside with you on, a, on an admission or on an outreach or on, a, on, a, on something. And once you have to establish a relationship with someone before they'll trust you enough to tell you they're hurting or to tell you that they're brokenhearted or to tell you that they're thinking about leaving. Jeff? So I was, I was just moving forward in my chair. And, um, did you have a specific question for me? No, I thought you might have a comment. Well, I do. Um, yeah, I was thinking, Clay, of uh, the James 5 passage. Is anybody sick amongst you? Uh, let them call for the elders in the church and let them come and pray. And the prayer of faith will save those who are sick. And, and uh, I think that's, that's it's a combination, like you were saying, that um, people, we need to know the flock, you know. We need to know the people, and we, it takes constant contact with them. And, uh, but sometimes, like you were saying, um, people don't communicate. And you're right about the cactus. I mean, people who hurt, hurt. <laughs> and uh, it's hard to get to know some people, but um, uh, I, you know, that's where we, it's a calling. And uh, we've got to get you know, thick skin. We've got to realize that we, need to minister to people and uh, it's going to be a challenging calling and yet it's a very essential one for the local church so i'm not sure if that's what the question you have in yeah. mind so the last meeting since the last meeting i read the the book that the um a shepherd looks at the 23rd psalm where he talks about handling sheep and it's a very interesting book if you've never read it it's by keller it's a good book but he points out that uh, you have to constantly be watching the sheep and examining the sheep and looking at the sheep and be close enough to know it because 
they develop disease and ticks and they get things in their wool and there's issues with them that if you're not aware of, they end up just dying on you. And so you have to be fairly aware of what's happening in their lives. I, I, I realize there's a verse in James to call upon the elders, but my experience is people go, well, if they need help, they'll call. That's what I've been told. But in my experience, that simply is not true. By the time they call, it's pretty late. I think I think both both are important. I mean, we should be like you're saying. I agree. We should know the flock, and we should be in touch with them. And uh, but we should, we need to be available to people as well. And uh, people are all different. Some are going to call. Some aren't. So. And I think that that's uh, probably something we need to develop as a church is uh, that um, desire for a close uh, relationship with one another so that whether we're the one who has the problem or we're the one who can help, that we uh, start moving toward one another and we meet halfway Good. Other comments? One thing I'd just like to point out on the on the animal, actual animal and physical shepherd side is many times when an animal is injured and you move in, if you rush right into the site of the injury, likely you're going to get kicked or butted or something and it's going to hurt and i i think that even as elders or as shepherds in god's church we should expect that or they should expect that when a person is is really injured uh the initial reaction when you come rushing in or if you come rushing in is going to be a a defense mechanism and I think we should be mindful as sheep uh, that we should be mindful of that. Try not to to do it, but as shepherds, I think to be aware of come alongside, come gently first. Uh, let them know you're there with you know animals. You you've got to kind of touch them gently and and get them calmed down before you can just jump right into what the issue is. A good illustration, and. If you do get kicked, one of the ways you demonstrate love is through persistence. If you just give up on the person, say, oh, he's impossible to deal with, I can't help him, and, and write him off, um, you're never going to be able to help him. A couple, a couple things uh, from the negative side then. How would a shepherd feel, feed himself? Well, one way would be on the sheep. I mean, in a literal sense, if the shepherd gets hungry and maybe there's a sick sheep, he's like, oh, well, he's sick. I'm going to eat him anyway. Uh, how that translates over to the spiritual side, I'm going to leave that to somebody else. Well, I've given it some thought. And I think sometimes elders can get in the position where the feed they give to the flock is the feed they desire. And so they might bring in 
speakers or they might have someone teach because they like that teacher or he teaches the way they like it or and anybody who doesn't quite teach that way or isn't quite the same they sort of shut out and don't want them to come because I have a I I have um I can be fairly critical when it comes to speakers and there's people who I love and someone's laughing at me and there's people that are just not my cup of tea. They're just not my cup of tea. But just because someone isn't my cup of tea doesn't mean he's not someone else's cup of tea or it's not something someone else enjoys. So if I only bring in speakers that I like or only have teachers that I like and they're all the same, it's like I'm getting something from it, but are the other people getting something from it? And so in that way you can be selfish and off the flock. There's a number of ways to be selfish. All right, let's move on to verse um, three. I want to spend a little time in verse three of, of first Peter. Um, and the reason why I had us look at Ezekiel is because of the verse that Ray pointed out is this idea of force. So first Peter, first Peter three says, Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but it being examples unto the flock. And the, and the question is, the warning is not to act like lords over God's heritage. How do elders act like lords over God's heritage? I think we first need to decide what is God's heritage. I take this God's heritage to mean us. I take it to mean his, his children. Yeah, the um, flock. To lord it over one would be to, as, as Scott brought out last night with the atrophies in uh, third gen, um, one who wanted to dominate and do everything his way, wanted everything to run through him, wanted his way was the only way and there was no other way for it to be. Um, I think elders get in trouble when they forget that they are shepherds of God's flock, not shepherds of their own flock. Good. So they not, the elders must not be domineering and lording over means to implies both pride and domination. And like with the, with the passage in Ezekiel, it really implies using force. We're told, but the Lord told us not to be like the Lord's, not to be like the Gentiles. So this word dominion is, is I think, a misunderstood word. So I want to take a little bit of time and look at the concept. There's two words most often translated dominion. In this passage, it's, it's translated Lord over. I would give you the Greek pronunciation, but I would I would butcher it terribly. And um, it's curio. It's translated um, have dominion over, exercise lordship over, be lord or lords. And then the next one that's used most often is, is kata or kata. And the kata means it's more intensive than the previous word. And that and and so the less intensive one, the, the 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 simpler one, is used in Matthew 25, 
20 and 25, and, and the Lord said, Jesus called them unto him and said, you know that the prince of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they are, and they are great exercise authority upon them. And in Mark 10, 42, it says, but Jesus called them to him and said unto them, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship, and their great ones exercise authority over them. And the less intense is found in the following passage. And he said unto them, the kings and Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they exercise authority over them that are called benefactors. So he tells us that we are not to be like the Gentiles and exercise lordship or authority or dominion. It's um, used in Acts that the, that the um, demons have a dominion over a man. It's used three times in Romans in regards to Christ having dominion over death. And then it's used in Romans 14 and 9. It says, for to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living or have dominion over both the dead and over the living. And then this is probably my favorite one. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, 24, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy for by faith ye stand. So Paul said, writing to the Corinthians, that he did not have dominion over their faith. And I know when I read that a, f a few years ago, it just struck me that here was Paul, the father of the church, the one who had led them to Christ. And one day could say, if, if you be in Christ, that, that vindicates my ministry because I'm the one who led you to Christ. And yet he says he doesn't have dominion over their faith. He doesn't have dominion over their faith. And if anyone should have had the authority to declare he had dominion, it was it was Paul. In 2 Timothy 2, 24, 25, which is at least my goal verse, it, it says this, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. I was doing marriage counseling this morning or this afternoon and the husband asked me, when is it okay to force his wife to do something? When is it okay to force his wife to do something? If you have to force her to do something, you've already lost. <laughs> and the same thing goes in assembly. When is it okay for elders to force someone to do something? Reminds me of, of, of Galatians 3, where it says, if you've begun in the flesh, if you've begun in the spirit, are you going to be completed in the flesh? So if the spirit of God led you to salvation, is it my spirit, my will, my force of, of nature that's going to, going to make you into the Christian you should be? And the answer is no. In fact, Zechariah 4, 6 says that. Then he answered and spake unto him, saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by mice, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. When you're using force, there's not a whole lot of room for the spirit of God to be working. I would suggest to you that the elders are not to exercise force or dominion because it removes the spirit of God from the equation. If we're to be, as Paul said, if a servant of God is not to strive, but be gentle apt to teach, patient, 
in meekness instructing those people themselves if preadventure god will re repent will give them repentance and acknowledge of the truth one of the problems that i see with exercise of the dominion is elders are impatient they're not long suffering and they want instantaneous change to what they want to have done I think one place that we get off on um, what you were talking about there about uh, um, exercising dominion um, is the scripture, and I'm, I'm terrible with references, but it says to obey them that have the rule over you, for they watch for your souls. We're going to get to that in a couple sessions, I promise. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about the authority of the elders in a couple sessions. Yeah. I, I, think, I think most elders have it wrong. Most elders think they do have dominion over God's heritage. And they do believe they are to exercise dominion over God's heritage. And, and I've seen it time and time again that elders will make a decision for the whole assembly and hand it down and expect or demand that everyone follow what they've decided. And if anyone says, I don't know if that's a great decision, their feathers get ruffled, they get hurt, and they take it as a personal attack. So dominion usually walks hand in hand with pride and selfishness. But Peter says clearly, we are not to exercise dominion. We're not to exercise dominion. And he goes on to say, but, but, by being examples to the flock. So you're not to exercise dominion, you're to be an example to the flock. Isn't that sometimes part of the problem? That we don't, one of the, one of the ways that men exercise dominion, and if you've worked in, in the American workforce, you probably have experienced this because I certainly have, is that the rules don't always apply to them, to the ones exercising dominion. Often there's a, there's a different set of rules so i think i shared this last time to read the book of second corinthians and read the book of philemon particularly but even philippians where there are issues in the church and the way that paul goes about appealing to them to do the right thing so one of the ways we don't exercise dominion is that we teach the word of god and we appeal to them to do the right thing. When we get later into ruling and the discipline, we'll look at some of those areas. But for right now, an elder is not to rule. He's supposed to be an example. And in which way is an, is an elder to be an example or, or, or someone who leads by example? Well, I think if I no. could, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, 
just quickly, the the teaching style of the Lord was always uh, that he, he lived with his disciples. So he taught them and then he modeled for them how to do what he had taught. Jeff, you had a comment? Yeah, I was just going to say that it's the, you know, um, cattle need to be driven. Sheep need to be led. And so we're not on a cattle drive. We're leading a flock. And so um, also I have found over the years that that it's a responsibility of the leaders, um, of course, to know the word of God, to lead from the word of God, and um, to communicate to the people. And so you don't just walk into a church meeting one day and say, oh, by the way, we're going to do this. Um, but you, you have been talking to them, telling them the different possibilities, what the elders are thinking, asking them to pray with you about them. And then at the time you say, well, we really, as, as a shepherd, we are united. We think this is a good way to go. And this is then, then you, you present that to the sheep. And if you've been communicating in love with them, they, they have a very easy time of following, I think. Example means a print left as an impression after a blow has been struck, a pattern or model of something else. So one of, one of the things that I would say in, is, is a truism is, is that if a person has difficulty submitting when he's a, when he's a part of the flock, he's really going to have difficulty submitting when you put him in leadership. It doesn't change his heart. And so one of the ways to be example, as we're going to get on in this passage, is one of the ways that needs it, it. There needs to be a lack of selfishness. There has to be a gentleness. And there has to be a humility. And if the elders lead with those traits and, and demonstrate those characteristics... In other words, the fruit of the spirit, grace, love to the flock. That's the most important thing they can do. And unfortunately, too many people think being an elder is arranging meetings and setting up programs and organizing committees and distributing money. But the most important thing an elder does is lead by example. And I've known elders who were, that people followed them because they inspired them by the way they led, by the life they were living. That it was a sacrificial life that people saw Christ in them and followed them. Wouldn't you say that's really where their quote quote authority comes from is by that example and proving to the to the sheep that that they really do have their best at heart and that that draws from the flock a response of of wanting to follow uh, what they present or what they um, the advice that they give. So I, I would say to me that a, an authority of an elder 
whether he's recognized or not, is two things. One is his ability to teach the word of God and apply it to people's hearts and living a life that, that models what he teaches. Because really the only authority an elder has in, in my mind, at least as far as I'm concerned, is the word of God. And I believe the spirit of God uses the word of God to change hearts. And that's why I'm, I'm such a firm believer in what Paul wrote, that we are not to strive, but we are to teach and be patient that God changes hearts. I cannot change hearts. I do not have the ability to change hearts. But I can share what I believe God's word has to say and allow the Holy Spirit to use that to change hearts. Clay, at this point, I think it's worth noting that very strong elders can use force to make people comply with what they want to do. But that really, it does no good for anyone because if people are being forced into doing something that they either do not understand or really don't want to do, it's not, uh, it, the elder has not helped them a bit. Well, I, I would go back to the marriage situation. If you have to force someone to do something, you've lost the battle. And then, and then if someone leaves, you don't follow them because you figure that they're not worth your time or effort. Uh, it's, it becomes sort of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, unfortunately. All right, the chief shepherd, verse four, is a chief shepherd. And, and verse four says, <clears throat> excuse me. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So ultimately, we should be walking in his steps, being able to, like Paul say, follow me as I follow Christ. So one of the questions I asked, we touched on it a little bit, is what are some of the traits we learned from the Gospel of John about the work of a good shepherd? We can go to other Gospels if you want to or other passages, but I thought it was important um, to go there. I, I'll read you um, Ezekiel 34, 15, since we were there earlier, and it says this, I will feed my flock, I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God, I will seek that which was lost, I'll bring again that which was driven away, will bind up that which was broken, will strengthen that which was sick, but I will, I will destroy the fat and the strong, I will feed them with judgment. He protects the weaker sheep, he disciplines those who seek to dominate the sheep. So if you're talking about the atrophies, Paul call, or John, when he writes to, to uh, Gaius, he says, it is evil what he's doing. It's evil. And God will judge that evil. God will judge those who dominate his sheep. They, God will judge those who bring in evil or force among his sheep or do more harm to his sheep than they do good. God, God will judge that. So that's the example of the Lord Jesus is that he seeks the lost. He brings back those who are driven away. He binds up those who are broken. He strengthens those which are sick. And he disciplines those who would dominate the meeting. 
And then Luke 15, 4 um, is a one we're very familiar with. Doth not leave the 90 and 9 in the wilderness and go after them, which is lost and pursues the strange. He pursues the strange sheep. So um, in John, I found uh, maybe four or five. If someone, did anybody else look them up, try to find them? It's homework, homework, homework. It's interesting that there were there were things that were repeated in uh, John chapter ten. Yes, um, and I noticed that I think at least four times Jesus said that he gives his life for the sheep. Yeah, he lays down his life, um, and that's repeated a number of times. He um, and. We cannot obviously lay down our life in the same way that he did in that we can uh, give to people eternal life by uh, being a substitute for them and paying the penalty for their sins. But, but elders do uh, lay down their lives. They, we, those who have been elders know that you have to um, sometimes... Uh, do things that um, really put a strain on your family and yourself in order to in order to help others. I, w I would compare it to Ephesians 5 where he says Christ loved the church and gave himself for and likewise husbands love your wife. It, it's it's a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial care. He demonstrated what sacrificial love and sacrificial care was all about. He set the example as a chief shepherd, as as was just mentioned. It's it's a high standard to follow. So to go back to what we were discussing a minute ago, when we were talking about an elder who is dominant or forcing the sheep. Um, and that, if, if that's a situation, um, whose, wh whose responsibility would it be to, if that were to be dealt with? Like, if, would that be the church? Would that be left to the Lord? I was just wondering what people's thoughts were on that. I can tell you what my advice would be. I've dealt with it a number of times. I've always recommended patience and let the Lord deal with it. I, the, I was working with an assembly in, in LA area and they had six non-existent elders. As I told you, I met with them and they had to go to the pews to get Bibles because none of them brought a Bible to the elders meeting. And there was two men who were advising the young men who were very concerned about the assembly that they should just stand up after the breaking of bread and throw the elders out. And that assembly has been through like three splits in the last 20 years, and it's been very ravaged by that. And my recommendation was it's very difficult to do that and not act in the flesh or not let your flesh get the better of you. That at my suggestion is that you pray and wait, on, wait upon God. In that situation, the two men that were the prospective elders, if they threw the elders out, 
one of them, it came out that he was a serial um, fornicator and had hid it his whole life, but it later came out and was manifest to everyone. And the other one was not in all, all qualified. So if they'd thrown the bums out, so to speak, the two they would have replaced them would have been worse or just as bad. They waited and it took five years. And within three years, five of the six elders resigned and left. One sort of hung around, but he didn't do anything. And, and I, I helped a group of men in a, in a leadership role to come along. And then that's the assembly that Ken Daughters now goes to. And he came out from Chicago or out from Dubuque and started going to that assembly. And that assembly is doing very well, has excellent elders now and is growing and is thriving and survive without losing almost anyone when those elders have finally left. Because usually, as we talked about the other day, is there's usually el people who see elders, whenever there's a split, whenever there's a, 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 a removing of elders, a third people leave because they think it was done wrong, a third people leave because they were followers of those elders, and a third stay because they saw it was the righteous thing to do. If you wait upon the Lord and let him remove those elders and pray and are diligent, you don't lay down particularly, but you also don't rebel. If the Lord removes them, often there's peace and healing and a quicker recovery. And it does mean patience, but I will tell you, those five years, there was a lot of growth in the young men to when it became time, they were ready to step up. Yeah, that would be exactly what I was thinking. Um, and that being said, so I guess what it comes down to is elders either make or break an assembly. In my experience, absolutely. Proper elders, the choosing of elders, the most important thing an assembly can do in my, in my opinion. Because if you have proper leadership, everything thrives. If you have those who are exercising dominion and are selfish and are ruling and controlling, and there's no humility in your elders. And the, and the other issue is, if you have one elder who lacks humility and the other two have or other three have humility, it becomes very difficult because it's very difficult for them to stand up against what we call the bull elder or the lead elder because he'll be domineering inside the elder group as he is domineering over the assembly. And it's hard to, it's, it's hard in that situation. It's very difficult in that situation when you're dealing with someone who just does what they want when they want and isn't accountable to the other elders and isn't accountable to the assembly. So they Sometimes shouldn't be accountable to the whole assembly as well as the other elders. Then. Everybody, every one of us should be accountable to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a. We are no, we are, we are sheep in his pasture. We are part of his flock. We're not over his flock. We're not designated as non-sheep. We are just as much sheep as the sheep are in many ways. And I think sometimes we forget that. A couple more than, um, he says, I'm the door of the sheep. And I think that speaks of protection. He says, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And that's what he, he um, Ray mentioned. 
says, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep and I'm known of mine. And we talked about that last week about me. And, and then in John 21, it says, Jesus said unto Peter, feed my sheep. So three times he said, feed my lambs, tend my, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And then one of the verses, as I was reading through the, the Psalms 23 as, as a shepherd psalm, um, one of the things he, he says, he restores his soul. And in my personal experience, one of the greatest dangers I see in the assembly is that restoration is not something shepherds are very good at or seem to care about. I was working with the assembly in LA, a different assembly, and a young man was put under discipline. And I go to the assembly every other month. So I'm not there real often. I'm there once out of eight weeks. And I went back and I said, I miss so-and-so. I said, oh, he's put under discipline. I said, who's working at restoring him? And the elder just looked at me and says, What's, what, what do you mean by that? What does that look like? It, it hadn't even crossed their minds that disciplining a brother was the first step that that's just the purpose of discipline is for restoration, not for removal and forgetful and never see him again. But that sort of was the mindset, which as we saw in Ezekiel, that's not a true shepherd. Yeah, I think that's that's so sad, and, and I think all of us have seen that exact, almost that exact example um, in in elders or shepherds today. Um, when a, a brother is a brother or sister is disciplined, and uh, they don't come back on their own, um, it's just kind of like. A, they're lost, you know, they're like that one sheep that is in the wilderness and the shepherd does the opposite of the good shepherd. He says, oh, I've got 99. That's good enough for me. I was in an assembly once and I, I just had become an elder in that assembly and a couple left and I didn't know them at all. And I said to an elder who was their friend, I said, or should we go visit them or talk to them about why they're leaving and what the issue? He goes, I have, I have 60 people here I'm responsible for. I don't have time to chase people. And I just, I didn't want to, you know, rebuke him, but really that's not what the Lord says in Ezekiel. That's not what the Lord says about himself. That's not what he says. A true shepherd does is say, I'm busy with the 99. So I can't chase the one that's not, a true shepherd in my book. I mean, who, see, and this is where the example of the great shepherd is, is, is the great shepherd truly, or the chief shepherd truly our example? Is that truly who we're looking to? Yeah. Are we trying to shepherd after his example? And I, and I've read a lot of elder books. I've read a lot of books on elders and I don't always see some of these concepts brought out very well which is sort of why one day I might write a book, but I'm, I'm concerned that some of these are not brought out.
One of the negatives in John is um, the hireling fleeth because he's a hireling and careth not for the sheep. And so the shepherd does not flee difficulties because he cares for the sheep. So sometimes people act like they're a hireling. They, it's like it's too much trouble to deal with the, with the sick or the lame, or it's too much trouble to go after the ones who leave, or it's too much trouble. You know, it's like, I'm not getting, and, and they don't say this in so many words, but it's almost, yeah, dude, you don't pay me enough to do that. You don't pay me enough to do that. I'm not, this job isn't, isn't worth enough. And it, and it goes back to what we opened with. If you're holding it because it's a prestige position, then yeah, you're not getting enough prestige to seek out the weak ones. And you're not getting enough prestige to chase down the wanders. And you're not getting enough prestige. Your prestige comes because of those who are immediately in the flock and are giving you that prestige. Those who leave aren't giving you any prestige, so why chase them? You don't get more prestige, prestige by chasing them. So that's where the whole concept of why are you an elder really comes into play. All right. Um, Peter talked about the chief shepherd earlier in, in 1 Peter 2.25. He says, but you were like sheep gone astray, but are now returned in the shepherd and bishop of your, of your souls. And so we need to remember that um, we are simply under shepherds. And then the next thing is that we're promised a, a crown of glory that fadeth not away. A crown of glory that fadeth not away. Why do you think the Lord gives us crowns? You don't all have to talk at once. As rewards for obeying is what I read. I was running a, I was an elder in an assembly and we were talking about the Sunday school program. And I said, I'd like to see us start giving out some awards. And someone goes, oh, I don't believe in awards. And I said, that's funny. God believes in them. God uses awards to motivate me. Why shouldn't we use motive, awards to motivate kids? I'm a, I'm, by the way, if you didn't know this, I'm a very firm believer in awards. I believe in awards. I believe God gives us awards, tells us we're going to get awards. Paul was motivated by awards. I think we should be motivated by the awards that are there. And I think we should use awards to help motivate the flock. I know not everyone agrees with me, and that's okay. But I'm a firm believer in awards. How would you give awards to a person in the flock? Sometimes recognition, sometimes a book, sometimes an encouragement, sometimes, you know, calling them up front and saying, I want to recognize this brother for all the hard work he did for our conference and getting everything done. The, the young man I'm counseling right now and with the marriage, he, I said, when was the last time you encouraged someone? And he said, oh, I don't because it causes pride. And I said, I said, you know, I'm told to encourage people. The pride is their issue. It's not mine. I need to come alongside and encourage people. And, and if it causes pride, that's between them and God. My job is to encourage people. God encourages me on a regular basis. 
I can't tell you how many times and how many different ways he encourages me. I preached Sunday to 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 um, Buena Park, and they pre-tape it and then play it on YouTube. It was a very difficult to preach where you don't see any faces, you just see yours. It was very, very difficult. Two people sent me emails telling me how much they appreciated the message. You don't think that was encouragement to me? Were they, did they need to do it? No. But did God use them to encourage me during a difficult, doing a difficult thing? Absolutely. Should we be encouraging each other? Should we be recognizing those who do well? God's going to recognize those who do well. I think it's going to behoove us to recognize those who do well. Jeff, you have something to say? No, I, I agree with you. Um, I just didn't, I, I wanted to get some specific or examples from you, but I, I, I completely agree with you. I like the idea of people coming up front and, and giving them a book or something or just mentioning a name. Um, I've been mentioning a, a few names occasionally at church meetings and just thank, we should be thanking people here for the work that they did during a difficult time. And mentioning different names and I, I agree with you and and particularly those who are doing it behind the scenes and most people don't realize the job they're doing you know I'm not big on, I'm not big on 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 giving accolades to elders because elders should be out front leading and most people see what they're doing the people who are um, doing solos or, or um, particularly speaking all the time but I'm thinking about the people who are who are busy behind the scenes where no one sees them, and you should tell them definitely that they're appreciated in my at least to me. I think we should give awards to kids if kids bring their Bible, if kids earn points, if kids, you know, if it, to go to camp, to go, you know, to to get a prize, whatever. I believe that kids are motivated by prizes. God motivates us through prizes, and I think we should do prizes. I've never used prizes to motivate adults, but I wouldn't be opposed to it because <laughs> I think God does it. I think God does it. All right, verse verse five. What time is it? Oops, time's up. Ah, I didn't get to verse five. Ah, well, let me just read verse five. We started a couple minutes late, if you want to. All right. Verse, verse 5 says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the, un, unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. In my opinion, this also applies to elders. And it, the younger are to submit. And there's a reason the younger are to submit. The younger are to submit because... The elders are older and they're out in front and they're leading by examples that if you're unsure, submit. But the, but the, on the same way, you sh the elders should submit to each other and to the flock. Um, First Thessalonians 5.12 says this, um, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So submission, submission's always to God, and it's always through God's order. So yes, I believe there is an order. I believe God has an order. I believe submission is important. But if you're in a marriage and you say to your wife, 
your problem is you don't submit. You've really got it backwards and you're really in trouble already. It's sort of like force. You have to tell your wife she has to submit. Now you're forcing and you really, there's something wrong. There's something has gone wrong. And so it's the same thing in an assembly. Um, the question I asked was, what, what does being clothed with humility mean? I think it's a realization that there is nothing distinguishing in me or nothing in distinction in me as I stand before God. There's nothing about me that stands above anyone else. If anything, I stand below others. Esteeming there's others a, better than yourself. There's a verse, there's a verse in um, Ephesians that I read that spoke very highly to me about being humble or my problems. It's Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4, sorry, Ephesians, no, Philippians, sorry. Philippians 2, And it says this, in, in, in the ESV, it says, let each one of you not, not only to his, to look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. In, in the King James, I believe it says, to esteem others better than yourselves. It says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. And I will tell you, here was my problem. I could look at Jeff and say, Jeff's a better preacher than me. I could look at Dave and say, Dave's a better plumber than me. I could look at Scott and say, or Matt and say, Matt's a better farmer than me, or he knows more about this area. But what the Lord really convicted me about was, would I be willing to think that other people's ideas are better than mine? So you have a men's meeting and someone says, I think we should do this. And I have very strong ideas that that wouldn't be the best way to do it, that my way would be the better way to do it. Am I willing to submit my idea to that brother's idea? Or am I going to, through my force of will, insist that it be done the way I want it to be done? And I will tell you that I've been on enough boards, I've been in enough leadership positions that it took me a while to learn that I needed not to insist that the way I thought it should be done was the best way. And I'll tell you what the Lord taught me when I finally realized that was other people had better ideas than mine. And that it would work doing it their way, even though I didn't think it would work, and even though I didn't think it was a great idea, that amazingly, it worked their way also. And guess what? They had a chance to take the lead. They had a chance to grow. They had a chance to do things because I was willing to step aside and say, and when it didn't work, we all learned. And I didn't say, I told you so, or I knew that wouldn't work. You just say, we all learned. And it was very hard for me to submit to other people's ideas. I always esteemed others better than myself in many areas, but when it came to their ideas, I really struggled to submit my ideas to theirs.
And the Lord had to teach me a pretty valuable lesson in that area. So clothed with humility, clothed with humility. The Lord said about himself that he was what? Meek and mild. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He was speaking to those who were under the very heavy-handed authoritarian leadership of the Jews, and it had become a burden to them. And his commitment was that his yoke was easy and his burden was light, and he was meek and lowly in heart. So if I'm leading by example and I'm trying to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus, it behooves me to be meek and mild and lowly in heart, just like the Lord Jesus. So it means clothed in humility, I believe, means to be meek and mild and lowly in heart. Uh, can I just make a quick comment that that meekness that meekness is uh, really strength under control. And it takes uh, a very strong person to allow others to um, have their way. Well, most of us could quote Philippians 2. And he became obedient. We're told like four times in scripture that he became obedient. He became obedient. He became obedient. And I will tell you, it is hard for me to be obedient. It's hard for me to submit. It's hard for me to humble myself. But the promise from God is what? That if we do humble ourselves, humble yourself therefore into the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. If, if a person isn't humble when they're not an elder, They'll never be more humble when they are an elder. So while Paul doesn't give humility as one of the traits in the two places he lists qualification, I would say that it's a major qualification in my mind of who an elder should be. It's hard to be a servant if you're not humble. And if you're not humble, it's much easier to be a Lord over his heritage. And Ray has the next class, I think. Right? Okay. And we'll be looking at Acts chapter 20. Um, start at verse 17 and read to the end of the chapter. Okay. If anybody wants to call me or talk to me or email me, um, you have my contact information, hopefully. Feel free to do so. Dave Hammond, did you have something to say? Yeah, I didn't get it unmuted in time, but uh, about this... Uh, humility or clothing uh, 
I put the word with that fully clothed so that you are not seen, you are hidden by humility. And it has also the idea of permanence it is ongoing. We are to be steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then lastly, if we allow a little bit of pride to come in, it'll destroy our humility and our service will not be as effective. God will withhold the blessing anytime he sees pride in leadership. The, the Lord washing the feet of the disciples is a great picture of being clothed in humility is that he put on the apron as if he was a servant. He took on the garb of a servant. Philippians 2 tells us he took on the form of a servant. It's, it's being, being in servant form of coming across like a true servant. One of, one, of the problems, one of the problems that comes up is pride's a terrible thing. And where I've seen it really hurt assemblies is elders want everything to go smoothly and to run well because it, it's a mark against their reputation if there's an issue or a problem. And so their pride then leads to them wanting to control all the situations so there's no issues and no problems. And then that then leads to one more step where then they start forcing conformity to guarantee that there's no issues or problems. And anybody who would not conform or anybody who would be slightly out of conformity, they'll, they'll force into conformity to protect themselves from looking bad. I was, I was at an assembly and um, some families had come over from the gospel hall. And we had a break in the bread, and we had the the baptism after the break in the bread, and the aunt and the uncle came in from to watch to observe the baptism, and they were standing in the back room. They had just arrived, and we had a young man passing the emblems, and he took him into the back room, and he handed the emblems to the two people who had just showed up from the gospel hall. Well, they declined it. But then word spread throughout the gospel hall about how lax and how terrible we were and how, how, how we didn't have control and how bad it looked for us that we just, someone walked in off the street and we offered them the bread and the wine. Well, it was a mistake on the young person's part, but it's the idea that to protect those type of mistakes, then you only have elders pass the emblems because the elders, you would trust the elders not to make a mistake or you only have elders do this because you trust the elders not to make a mistake. So no one grows, no one's brought along, no one has a chance to make a mistake because it would reflect on us and our reputation and our pride would be damaged. And so often people do things from pride because of that very problem. And so if you've got an elder who is either there because of reputation or there because of pride, it's not too soon before they want to control to protect their pride and to protect their reputation and protect the prestige of their office. And, and it, it becomes just a vicious cycle.
I'm old enough now, I've been around it long enough and I've been to enough assemblies and interacted with enough elders during my time that I've seen some of these examples that I'm giving you. So before Matt tells us we have to stop, uh, all of us are thinking the same question, at least I think so, uh, by the, some of the looks I'm getting on those that are, have just come over from Orangewood. But what do you what do you do in a situation where you you exactly describe their clay? What what do you do as an individual? Not I'm not thinking as what should the church do? What do you do as an individual? Sometimes patience the best thing. Sometimes there isn't another option. If there is another option, sometimes it's time to take the option. If you have been patient, if you've tried to work within the system and it just hasn't bearing any fruit and, it, and it's getting to the point where they're trying to force people out, then sometimes it's best to leave. If, if my problem, my, 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 what scares me is that sometimes if you start to run, you never stop. You go to the next place and they're not quite right or they do something wrong and then you're you're quick to leave the next place. And so when I counsel young men, I say, if the Lord is really leading you away and that's between you and the Lord, once again, I can't tell you where the Lord's leading you. That I believe the Spirit of God operates in your life. I can teach you, I can give you advice, but it's up to you to listen to the Spirit and do what the Spirit tells you. My fear is as though once you start running or once you start church hopping or once you start going, you don't stop. And I know, I, I bet you some of you know people have left the gospel hall, went to an open assembly, left there, went to a community church. Pretty soon, they're not breaking bread anywhere. I know two people here in San Diego County of, of a very famous preacher who, who his kids aren't going anywhere because in one and they started in the gospel hall, they went to an open assembly, they left the open assembly, went to a community church, and now they're not going to a community church anymore. So they've started that downward church hopping, and that's what scares me. Once you start, can you put the brakes on, settle down, and, and stay with it? Because it's like once the, roll, the stone starts rolling, sometimes it never quite stops. So that's why I usually advise patients. But once again, you must follow what the Spirit of God is leading you to. I, we talk a lot about the leading of the Spirit, but a lot of times we don't trust the Spirit of God as leading people. Unless he's leading us like leading them like we think he should lead them, then we don't really trust they're being led. And I don't want to ever be put myself in that position. I trust people. I trust that the Spirit of God is leading you. You've begun in the spirit, you're gonna be completed in the spirit and that the spirit of God will lead you. Will he lead you like I think he should lead you? There are times he will not lead you like I think he should lead you. Does that mean he's not leading you? No, that means that I'm wrong. And I have to trust that the spirit of God's leading you. And so my encouragement is to make sure that you're following the leading of the spirit and then follow it. Amen. Okay. Mr. Matthew. Oh, Ray, as long as I got you on here, uh, can you send me the minutes to the last men's meeting and the minutes to the corporation meeting from last year? Yeah, I do. So I can be ready for the next meetings. 
Okay. I appreciate. I thought that. I had sent them. I thought I sent that you already. You probably did, you. but if you could send them again, I won't have yeah. to search for them. <laughs> okay. We have uh, Scott closing prayer. Great. All right. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for uh, this little meeting. We thank you for uh, our brother Clay and his help to us and his his wisdom. But I pray that uh, you would just uh, help us along in this study, help Ray next, and that you would uh, lead and guide them in, uh, with your spirit um, to continue on, the, on in the subject. And Father, we pray that uh, we would be um, submissive and not prideful, and we would be always looking to our Savior um, as the head and not being conceited in ourselves. Um, but but to be humble. And we just pray for this, pray for unity in our assembly, uh, and pray that uh, you would just uh, help, us, help us in this study. And we pray this in our Savior Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Um, yeah, um, Matt Vanderhart, if you want to call me, we can talk more about that subject. I plan on calling you uh, probably this weekend or maybe tomorrow if I can. Uh, that way we can talk a little bit about the corporation meeting. Okay. Because I have no idea how that works. So you're going to have to teach me. Well, I'll, I'll do the first one and set an example for you and then you can follow. I, I, I plan on chairing this first one. Then after that, it's all yours. All right. All right. So two weeks, or not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, you guys are going to meet. Have you, did you watch the seminar um, put on by Know the Word? They made a number of very good points. No, where is that at? I'll send it, I'll send out a link to it then. Yeah. It's now on you, it's up on YouTube now. Okay. And it's, it's um, Know the Word has had several seminars. The last one was how do we regather? How are we going to meet? And there's two doctors on the panel talk about some of the needs, social distancing and stuff, some of the issues. Um, if you have snacks, they need to be wrapped. They can't be unwrapped snacks because if someone sneezes or breathes on them, it could spread it pretty rapidly. Um, if, it's going to be hard to social distance at your building and that's, they recommend that, but it's going to be hard to do a lot of social distancing, especially if you have a full house. Um, they do recommend that you take temperatures and ask people before they come in that you prop doors open so everybody doesn't have to touch a door. Some of those things, it was pretty inf inf pretty good information. There were some handouts that went along with it, so I'll forward that to you also. I'll that forward it to Matthew DeFries, and then if you could pass them on, Matt, I would appreciate it. Will do. Actually, since we got a few of the guys on here, I think we need to have a talk about how we want to do it we kind of set the date to go back and we've suggested a lot of things. And kind of like I said last night, we need to have somebody just take charge of what's going to, or a couple of people to set, say, this is what we're going to do. Um, so I don't know how we want to handle it, but there's a lot of good ideas and I know a lot of people have concerns and some people don't have concerns, but we need to kind of navigate them in the best way possible. So if we can, uh, 
it's, it's good CDC came out today saying that there was um, less, um, less likely of a chance to be um, through surface contact of getting it. Because everybody was really concerned about that. I mean, I, I, my mail comes and I bring it in, set it down, don't touch it for three days. So that makes sure that it isn't contaminated. But, you know, everybody, everybody should have, you know, do what they want. I will send you that video. And if people can watch it, I think it would be helpful. Okay, great. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. And Clay, you're speaking this Sunday, right, for us? I am speaking this Sunday. What, what time does it start? So Breaking Bread starts at 1030. And then the speaking usually starts at about 11, maybe a quarter after. Okay. So if you have some other engagement before that, you can say. No, 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 no. I will be there at 1030. Okay, great. Sounds good. I'll make I'll sure. I'll be there at 1030. All right. Thank Talk you. to you guys later. All Thank right. you. Bye. All right. Bye. Yeah, it's really interesting with that new um, new thing from the CDC about the surface. The, it seems like the goalposts just keep shifting, you know? Mm-hmm. Like first, <laughs> first there was, they were saying there was no, and then, then, then they said, then they said there was, and then, then they were saying that masks weren't effective and then they were saying that masks were effective and it just seems like, Every day, it's something something different. But it's uh, almost like they don't know. <laughs> and they're guessing, yeah, and then they I, wonder. Then they wonder why people don't have a lot of confidence in them. They're making it up as they go along. Anything. It, it, well, and then some people just. I read an article today that if social distancing had had started a week earlier. We would have we would have had half the deaths that we end up having, and it's like, how can you just make a statement that if social distancing had started a week early, we would have saved, you know, fifty thousand people? I, where do you come up with numbers like that? I mean, how, they so don't the, the numbers about. the numbers are inconsistent over different in different situations. They have huge uh, death rate in New York, and seventy percent of those people are in long-term care facilities. Yes. Well, and they and just handled that situation entirely wrong. There was a, there was on the night's news when my daughter was here watching it, I overheard they were talking about Hispanics and how the death rate among Hispanics in San Diego County is much higher. And the reason was because they're poor and don't have proper, proper um, medical facilities and they're all lower income jobs and they're all working. Well, I, my wife's part of that Hispanic community, and I can tell you that one of the reasons they're having more deaths is they haven't practiced social distancing. They had gatherings on Mother's Day. They've had gatherings for birthdays. They've had gatherings for, for parties. They haven't practiced social distancing because they didn't believe that it applied to them. And so they've had a bigger outbreak. And it's not has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with, with income level. It has everything to do with not practicing social distancing. And so you know, you can't just label, you know, it's because of their race that they're dying. It, it's, there's other things that are impacting it. But what can I say? I just observe, I try to use logic and sometimes logic isn't appreciated when you're trying to sell an idea or make a point. So there you what did. can I say? You did All right, guys. Logic. Thank you. We will see you next time. Take care. Have a good one.
Yeah. I'm going to say good night to all also. Good night. Everybody have a great night. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Sunday, Lord willing. Bye, Alden. Bella. See ya. Bye, Alden. Bella. Bye. Good night. Bye, Ray. Hey. Let's go. Hang up. Um, what was that? Yeah. <clears throat> one, thing I was, one thing I was just that was kind of concerning to me was it seems like this whole coronavirus thing is, is causing disunity even in churches. Now, like, there's different ideas on when to open and how to reopen. And, and I kind of liked Matt's suggestion last night that, you know, maybe everybody should write down just exactly what they're concerned about and, and maybe find some way to present that at every, to everybody. So, you know, yeah, you know, I, I, I agree. No, we don't want to have disunity over, over something. So, over something like meeting like everybody wants to it's kind of crazy yeah i right. think the biggest thing is is like for us and just kind of what i'm seeing in the dynamic and talking to everybody is this is why an assembly needs elders like we need like we need leadership we need somebody to kind of take charge that's why the last two times i've suggested somebody needs to just say hey i'm going to take on and, and feel out people's opinions on you know their concerns and then i'm going to make a decision you know, based on all those facts. And obviously maybe not everybody's going to be okay with it, but I'm just going to try to navigate it the best as possible. Because right now, the way I see it is a few of us said, okay, the 31st, in fact, last Thursday night, a few people stayed on just like this and talked and said, yeah, let's try it for the 31st, provided that there's not a huge spike in cases. Well, you know, how we're going to go about going back, is it the right time? <laughs> Without somebody kind of taking charge of it, it's a really difficult task. Um, and in this situation, I think it would be a place for a board or an elder to say, okay, hey, even if they're not making the decision, they're appointing somebody else to kind of say, this is what we're going to do because we have a bunch of opinions and nobody's making a decision on them. That's not a good situation. So if anybody wants that position, I, I would be more than happy to not. Ray, next Ray time. what do you think? I, what I actually think is that if you take that position, then if anything goes wrong, you will suffer the rest of your life. Okay. That's if, if somebody gets sick with, really sick with Corona and has, dies or has some uh, sequelae which last for quite a while, you were, you'll be in a, you'll, you'll be, You'll be in trouble for a long time. That's why nobody wants to make a decision. But I think that uh, we uh, people and I think what we need to do is we need to open. We definitely need to open it, but we need to tell people that they can feel free not to attend if they have any issues that uh, they think are a problem for them. I'm, I'm way past the age uh, when I probably shouldn't be there. I, I also go down to uh, a, a homeless uh, meeting two or three times a week, and I probably get, I'll probably get exposed a lot more than anybody else in the meeting would be exposed. 
So should I stay away? These are hard decisions to make, but right. I think that the assembly needs to open and get back to um, get back to functioning semi semi close to normal. Mm -hmm. I don't disagree with that. I just yeah. wonder how we're going to do it and taking everybody's concerns into effect. That's kind of my point. And I think may, having made the decision for people that are what people want to get to back on the 31st and saying, if you're uncomfortable, please stay away. That's great. But now how else do we go about setting out other precautions and who's going to make those decisions, you know? All right, let's do it right now. <laughs> well, we, we've already made the decision on the elements are, are going, the bread will be cut up, which we never did that previously. One time we did it at the beginning of this outbreak, but uh, then you, you, don't, uh, you don't touch bread that somebody else is going to touch. Um, that's probably one good way, to, good thing to do. But I don't know how you can keep people from um, Dave, uh, Dave Welsher has served the elements probably more than anybody I know there. And he says there's somebody who coughs on the bread every week. Yes. Every time it comes near them, <laughs> that person coughs. Hey, I have the perfect, I have the perfect remedy for this. Okay. The Jesus Lunchables. <laughs> Jesus Lunchables. Okay. Is that a company that you own? <laughs> if not, we're buying it right now. <laughs> like these little pre-made communion things. They have like the little, like you peel over the top and it has a little thing of grape juice. And then you peel over the other side and it has a little... Cracker. <laughs> well, that's. I'm glad you made that suggestion. We might be you able can buy to. Them. Yeah. In the short term, that might be actually an option. I mean, yeah. hopefully in the very short term. But. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I'm assuming that you could get that on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> and like mega, probably mega. Amazon has it, and we could have it for Sunday. <laughs> there you go. So, so let me uh, let because of the fact that my can, wife and I uh, generally yeah yeah uh, oh okay there they are <laughs> uh, my wife and I generally are the ones who get the uh, elements ready for uh, the meeting each week and so let let we'll work on getting some of that. Uh, those things ready. I was throwing it out as a joke, but I mean, <laughs> it actually, I think that's actually not a bad idea for for the short term. Like I said, we we're I was thinking about it earlier was even just with our kids interacting. That's going to be a bit of a hassle too. Um, trying to keep that in mind, but <laughs> I don't know how, how that's is going to be difficult, right? Matt, you said some folks are planning on attending. I'm guessing some people from Warnedrud. No, uh, we have a couple of three, uh, three families. Two from faith. Two from faith. 
Oh, okay. That are interested in attending. So that's, I mean, I was, I was saying, talking to Matt, Matt V a little bit earlier today about the numbers that potentially could show up would pack the building. So yeah. if everyone comes and then we have these extra people coming, uh, there is not going to be any social distancing going to happen in that small building. So. so their church won't open until they can have 50 people. So right now they're allowing 10 groups of 10 to book meeting rooms there, but nothing more than that until the next phase. Yeah. And then they're going to open up their, their meetings, I guess, to 50 people at a time. They'll just add more. Yeah. And so, and, and being a, you know, since, like I said, again, I was talking to Matt a little bit earlier today, Matt Van Hurt, but um, since everything is opened up, I mean, if, if they, if they, if what they if they know half of what they think they know, like we were saying earlier as well, within two weeks, if there is going to be some kind of an increase in cases because the city now has opened up, we should know within two to three weeks max. So I mean, we got to consider that date too. If that can possibly go an extra week, maybe with without with our start date. And that gives us a little more time to kind of nail down what it is we are, what our expectations are of how we're gonna facilitate everybody meeting together in a safe manner. And if it was all for naught in the end and every, and well, it's better than like Ray said, going back and someone end up getting really sick or you having that feeling of responsibility. I think more of the issue is the social distancing part or yep. lack of the ability to do it in our building more so like like the thing came out with the CDC that you know surface touching things is not as um, serious as we once thought it was like the transmission of it but it's everything from the very beginning has been six feet you know like the distancing respiratory droplets like that's that's how the virus spreads like that's that's fact so i guess like the other things are easier to take care of like the the touching that kind of stuff but the um social distancing in our building size is the the struggle mm -hmm. well, i had thought we could divide into two groups we yeah. could be one group could meet in the in the chapel, and one group could meet in the in the fellowship area, and you know, basically have. I mean, it would be tough to do family Bible hour that way. Maybe we um, do. Or do we, do we have to make a hard decision and and just say only folks from Palms can come? I don't know. I mean, there's so many people, so, you know, like when you think of a, a lot of uncomfortable decisions, that's all I can say <laughs> without anyone being upset. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. That's the tough part. That's an idea though, Matt. I'm open to any and all ideas. Yeah. Tonight was good. Ray. Thank you for your guys. Ray was awesome. As well, yeah. yeah. Play, and you guys have a lot of work.
and last week was good too. Yep, it's been really good. So how about we walk?